Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. There's a lot of emotions already in this service today, right? Like, it's this kind of roller coaster, but uh, buckle up because I'm going to bring some roller coaster to you guys right now, all right? Um, hey, we're, we, uh, we got this thing coming up September 11th. It's game day. Um, that's when we have our ministry booths out here. You can figure out if you want to serve or if you need to be fed. That's kind of the spot where it's at, where it's like, hey, spiritually, I need to be grown up in the Lord. We're going to have all that on display. We're going to have food trucks. But what we're asking from you is to come game day ready, which means wear your favorite sports jersey, okay? Wear your favorite sports jersey. All right. We are ending a series today, First Opinions 316. Um, We've been talking about things that sound true, but are in fact not true. And today, I get to ruin a bunch of people's life verse. So (laughs) I'm excited about that. Um, So go ahead and open your Bibles up to Jeremiah 2911. Oh, somebody went, oh, I I felt it. I just felt the, the oxygen get sucked out of the room in here. While you're opening that up, I'm going to tell you guys a story. Um, Britt and I were in college at one point, and we were super cool, right? Um, uh, And we were on, it was back in 2005, it was our very first day on campus, and we needed to help pay for tuition, and we needed to get jobs, because we didn't know the government was just going to pay for that later. Um, (laughs) um, Got a little political, just already. Um, uh, so we got a job in the cafeteria. Um, and when, when you think about a cafeteria worker, or you think about the guy who runs the cafeteria, um, you think about maybe a guy who's got like a stain on his shirt, seen some stuff, maybe like a Vietnam vet, you know. At Multnomah at this time, the guy who ran the cafeteria was a good-looking, clean-cut, he wore a three-piece suit, and his name was Micah. And during our orientation... He had this whole fantastic presentation ready for us. It was a PowerPoint presentation, and it was, it was awesome. I mean, as awesome as a cafeteria orientation can be. And he called us on mission in this presentation. He said, we keep a clean kitchen. We keep an absolute clean kitchen. That is my goal in life because the health and well-being of Multnomah students rest on their nutrition and us being all a part of this. And we were like into it. I was like, yeah, clean kitchen. I've never been this excited to clean a kitchen before, but here I am. I'm signing up. Sign me up. I'm a believer. And he's going through this whole thing. And I was, we were all pretty much into it until a little bit of context crawled out of the kitchen right behind him. And we were sitting in the cafeteria. This giant rat just starts running around behind him, right? And he's literally talking about how clean he keeps the kitchen. This is what's going on right now. And, you know, the crowd, there's like probably 15 of us getting all like uh, oriented and all that stuff. They start kind of rumbling and he can tell that we're not really there. He's kind of confused. And then somebody, some girl stands up and goes, hey, I'm sure what you're saying is really important, but there's a ginormous rat running around behind you. The guy exhales, looks up and he goes, yeah, we have a rat problem. (laughs) Just ignore that and let's keep talking about this. And he does. Literally, the rat is running behind him the whole time as he continues to talk about how clean his kitchen is. Now, I'm not that smart of a human, but I know for a fact 
that if you have a rat in your kitchen, you've got a dirty kitchen, okay? You've got a dirty kitchen. And no matter how much you want your kitchen to be clean or how powerful your presentation is, if there's a rat in the kitchen, the kitchen is not clean. That background information that was running around there helped gave truth to what was really happening. Well, today, as we look into Jeremiah 29.11, I get to play the rat. <laughs> I get to ruin the verse. And I'm sorry about this. Actually, I'm not. I, I really get excited about this stuff. But here, let's, let, let's talk about some things here. What would you say when you, when you read Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. What would you say is the most important part of this? Now, you don't have to say it out loud. Just kind of pick a word in your head, right? What's the most important part? Is it plans? That speaks to the sovereignty of God. He's got plans for us. Is it this word, prosper? You know, who doesn't want prosperity? You know, there's all sorts of churches. In fact, the biggest churches in America, they would look at this and say, God wants to make you rich. If you just pray more, give more, then the BMW's on the way, you know? Is it, is it about plans to not harm you? Is it safety? You know, we all learn because of COVID-19 how much our world is concerned with safety. Is that, is that what we dive into here? Or is it plans to give you hope in a future? Is it this idea that, that God's got this big future for you? Which word unlocks the meaning to Jeremiah 29, 11? I want to suggest it's these words right here. Read the full chapter. <laughs> Read the full chapter. Because like that rat in the cafeteria, there's some background context we got to jump into here, all right? And so begins our dismantling of somebody's tattoo here. All right, here we go. This is Jeremiah 29, 10, the verse right before it. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now I guarantee you that Jeremiah 29.10 is nobody's life verse. No one's got this tattoo. No one's got this bookmarked. Because it gives us sort of what's going on in the background. And what's going on in the background is we realize the you that the Bible's talking about when it says plans to prosper you isn't talking about you. So the you isn't talking about you, huh? Well, what's the you talking about? The you is talking about the Jewish people. And not just the Jewish people nowadays, but specifically the Jewish people 3,000 years ago. And during this time, now if you guys remember, remember, promise place, promise place. This is a huge theme in Jewish culture that there is this promised land. You guys remember, way back in Egypt, Moses frees his people. He takes them out to the de desert. They're at Kadesh Barnea. That 12, 12 spies go in the land. 10 say, go, 10 say no. 2 say go. They wander in the desert for 40 years until God allows them finally to go into the promised place, the promised land. Then there's the time of judges where things got a little weird. And, but after that, there was a time of kings. And in the time of kings, King David takes Israel in its promised land to its height. And then after King David, there's about 50 bad kings, and slowly they give up the promised land. And where we find Jeremiah, remember, Jeremiah is a prophet. He's not a bullfrog. He's a prophet. Um, and uh, Jeremiah is in this time, this time where the people of Israel have once again been taken captive, not by the Egyptians, but by now the Babylonians, Okay. There's our rat in the cafeteria background verse at this point. This is, this is what, so is there anybody here 
who is a, a Jewish person who was born 3,000 years ago and has been in captivity specifically to the Babylonians. Is there anybody in this room that that applies to? Whenever I do that to middle schoolers, there's always some turkey who raises his hand. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I've been grounded before, so it's kind of like Babylonian captivity. <laughs> those, those dummies, you know. All right. So we learn that the you is not you. And so when we get to Jeremiah 29, 11, it's not talking about you. Everyone go, oh, yeah. So then what's the point? Is, is it, TJ, that your job is to come up here and tell us how much the word of God does not apply to my life? That seems like a weird strategy for a pastor, right? No, all scripture is useful. We just got to figure out what is the use of this thing? And what we know about this is this is a promise made specifically to the Jewish people. And the crazy thing about this is God kept this promise. And he continues to keep this promise to this day. The Jews have a promised place and God promised it to them. And so they get it. Imagine all the years until 1948, up until 1948, when the Jews didn't have a place, when they were scattered amongst all nations, millennia went by and they read about their scriptures and they're supposed to be a promised place, but we didn't get the promised place. And then all of a sudden, by a, by a miracle, a language that hasn't been spoken in 2,000 years is already, almost already spoken, and a nation is built that wasn't built for 2,000 years. This is crazy. God kept his promise to the Jewish people. So what do we derive from that? What's the eternal proof? And it's this. God keeps his promises. We just need to know what the promise is. God keeps his promises. We just need to know what the promise is. So Jeremiah 29, 11 isn't for you. Sad. But guess what, church? We got some promises too. All right? And so what are those promises? What are our promises? This is not going to be an exhaustive list. These are just the ones that I came up with. You can come up with more. Number one, he promises to finish the good work that he has begun in us. Guys, I always get excited when I see baptisms and salvations. And I always get super excited, but I also get super nervous. Because I wonder, you know, is that, is that person going to fall off? But we are given an assurance in the scripture that if God started it, he will finish it. Now we know not everybody who comes forward, raises their hand, not everybody who's baptized is made a true profession of faith. We know that. But we do know this. If it is from God, he will finish it. And what that means for you is that God is not done with you yet. You might think, man, I'm just, I'm just lost. Yeah, trying to read the word. I'm in this valley. Oh, what's going on? Here's some good news. We got a promise. The promise is this. God's going to finish that work. I believe it because God promised it and God keeps his promises. We just need to know what the promise is. Here's another one. Another one that God says, Jesus will make all things new. Whew. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like this world is kind of worn out. We need to trade it in for the next model. We know that when God looks at where we are and the sin and the brokenness of our world, that his desire is recreation. Not recreation, but recreation. He's taking a remnant from this place, which will be seeded into this next place. We are guaranteed a new heaven and a new earth and new bodies. Some people are pretty excited about that. <laughs> yes. 
It's a promise. And I believe it because God keeps his promises. We just need to know what the promise is. You know what another promise is? Satan will be defeated. Ah. My goodness, Satan will be defeated. You know who Satan is? Satan is the father of all lies. I look around in our world and I see a lot of people believing a lot of lies and wrecking their life on these lies. But when I look at that, I, I want to get, you know, I want to go on Facebook. I want to rage. I want to go to a school board. I want to scream. I want to do something. I want to say something. But the good news is the liar, the one who started all these lies, we are told in Revelation 20 that he will be cast into the pit of fire and him with his lies will be destroyed forevermore. That's a promise, and I believe it because God keeps his promises. We just got to know what the promise is. What is the promise? In this life, you will have troubles. No, no one was amen in that one. Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I, I don't like this one. This is the opposite of Jeremiah 29 11, right? Jesus knew what Jeremiah 29, 11, he knew what the context was and what promise he gives us is that in this life, you will have problems. But the crazy thing is the more we have problems, the more we get to identify with Jesus because you know who had problems? Jesus. Jesus was never the problem, but he faced all of the problems. He says, hey, when the world hates you, remember they hated me first. Hey, if you want to follow after me, you've got to pick up that cross and carry it. This is, this is not the Jeremiah. Jesus wasn't living the Jeremiah 29, 11 life. But if he endured, and if glory was waiting for him, and if he faced even death and resurrection came out of death, then that resurrection is mine too. And I believe it because God promises it. And God keeps his promises. We just need to know what the promise is. We're not done. We've got some more promises. He will provide a way out of temptation. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the sermon because it talks a lot about this. It talks a lot about how when we feel like we don't have any place we can go, that God sometimes gives us more than we can handle so that we learn to handle it through him. And that's, what, that's what's going on here. And I want to get real for a second here. We are in the middle of a, a sexual crisis in our world. And there's a lot of strange things popping up in our world. And the reason it's popping up is because we haven't spent enough time talking about what's going on under the surface. In this room, in a room this size with this many people, more stats tell us, statistics tell us, that a majority of people in this room would be, would be struggling with secret porno, porn, pornography sins. And some people, and I, I know this, they don't want to darken the door of a church. You want to know why they don't want to darken the door of the church? Because they feel so lost. They feel so broken. They feel so sinful and shameful that they, they think, I could never be here. I could never be in this place. And some of you guys, you come here and you just, you just divide it up. You divide your whole life up. I'm here now, praise the Lord, but later on I'm, I'm going to be doing some other stuff. And you've just learned to live with it. Neither one of those are the biblical philosophy for overcoming temptation. So many of us, we live in this, this lie that, you know, at the end of the, the, the night, 
there is this brightness, there's this light. So at the end of the tunnel, there's a, there's a light and we're just kind of bumping around. And if I myself, on my own merit, on my own abilities, if I can just get through this darkness and beat this struggle on my own, I will eventually reach the light and I will reach perfection and then me and God will have one. Yay! Problem with that is it's not biblical. We don't serve a God who just waits for us at the end of the tunnel. Jesus descended into our darkness He says, I'm a lamp unto your feet, which means this, which means this. He's not the light at the end of the tunnel. He is our light in the tunnel. If you walk in here and you feel unworthy because you are a sinner, welcome. We are all in that same boat. And the more we can understand that that God's provided a way out and that way out is him and we'll believe the promise. And I, I believe God keeps his promise. We just need to know what the promise is. We got more promises. Got another one here. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Guys, we have a God who is transcendent. He's above all this stuff. God the Father. We have a God who's with us in our struggle and understands all of the pain that we went through. Emmanuel, God with us, God the Son. But we also have a God who has made his dwelling place in the hearts of men and women. The temple is now inside of us, God the Holy Spirit. And when you say yes to Jesus, God plants his divine nature, his self inside of you. And forever, you can't get rid of it. You can't outchase it. There's no place you can go because inside of you lives the Holy Spirit. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise that we get. And I believe it because God keeps his promises. We just need to know what the promise is. Another one. God will give us wisdom if we ask for it. Guys, you can be a dummy and still be wise. This is not an intelligent statement here. We look at smart people and go, that's a wise person. Uh, when I see smart people with names by the, especially nowadays, the more titles you have behind your name, the more of a dummy you seem like you are. Because we have all these intellects who have absolutely zero wisdom. Because we've walked away from God in these public spaces. And we've tried to do it ourselves. But you know, you could be the dumbest of dummies. I graduated with a 1.3 GPA from high school. They found credits for me to walk. <laughs> from there, I started asking God for wisdom because I knew that I, wasn't gonna, I was always going to be a dummy. I started asking God for wisdom. He planted me at Multnomah. I graduated Multnomah with a 3.5 GPA, not because I'm smart, but because God gave me wisdom. I went back for my master's degree. I graduated with a 3.8 GPA. Why? Because God gave me wisdom. And and when we ask for it, he gives it to us. Some guys, you see see me, I love my opportunities that I get to teach. I love these opportunities. When I get to teach in youth group, when I get to teach up here, when I get to teach at camp, God's given me abundance of times where I get to teach. I love it, but there's, there's something I always do beforehand. I always pace and I talk to myself. And people think he's crazy, he's nervous, something's going on. No, 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 I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to God and I'm praying a very simple prayer. 
Not my words, but your words, God. Not my words, but your words. Not my words, but your words. And I believe that God answers those prayers because he keeps his promises. We just need to know what? What the promise is. Guys, here's the last one, and this is a good one. Say it with me. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, that was, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, we can clap for that. We got to stick the landing a little better than that church, all right? Let's say it with excitement, not like we're droning on, okay? Jesus is coming back. Amen? We know what the life of Jesus was. He came. He was here for 30 years. He had four years of ministry. He died. He was raised to new life. He stayed for 40 days, and then he ascended into the heaven. And all the followers watched him just sort of float away. And then they just kept looking up, even when they couldn't see him anymore. And then they kept asking, when's he going to come back? We've been asking that same question for 2,000 years. But the time isn't our concern. In fact, we're told in the scriptures that we're never going to know the time. If a pastor stands up in front of you and says, I absolutely know the time, that's a liar. Because God's word tells us, like a thief in the night, I will return. No one will know when I come back. God's coming back. And he's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things right. And there's going to be a generation, hopefully it's us, and we get to meet him as he comes back. I believe it because God promised it. And God keeps his promises. We just got to know what? All right. So now let's jump into the heart of the beast. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12. For I know the plans I have for you. Who's the you here? The Jews. Exactly right. For, the, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and I will come and, and, come and, I will pr- and pray to me and I will listen to you. Now what you see here is two statements. A, decla- a declaration and a destination. That's what's going on here. God's declaring something, and then that's, this is where it's going to lead to. That a really simple way of saying this is that God created Israel for a purpose with purpose. Guys, that's, that's the same thing as with us. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Our world lacks purpose. It does. And the reason that we lack purpose is because the stories that we tell ourselves are empty. For about the last 50 years, we've been telling the younger generations that this whole thing is an accident, some cosmic accident. You are some version of goo that eventually grew eyes and hands and arms and now a conscience. And you know what happened? These generations started to believe that they were accidents. And when you believe this is an accident and all this stuff is random, it might take the pressure off at first. It might be like, okay, well, maybe life doesn't matter all that much. And at first you're like, yeah, that's, that's good. But at the same time that we have lacked purpose, in the same, same amount of time that we've lacked purpose and, we've, and our decline in knowing and going to church and having God in our lives has declined, you know what else, you know what, you know what, has, you know what has increased? Mental health problems on a crazy level. Depression, anxiety, suicide. You want to know why? Because if you believe you're an accident, you might think it'll take the pressure off, but eventually it just becomes an, ang- you become an anxious mess and you crave two things. You, 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 you see death as something you want to scorn and you want to hold on to this life because all, that's all you have or you long for death. 
Those are the two options at the end of this accidental journey. In the last two years, I went on more suicide calls as a youth pastor than I did in the first 10 years of my career. Do you see what's going on? The stories we believe about ourselves matter. The Bible is like 90% narrative, which means that God's a storyteller. You want to know what the story he tells us is? You were created on purpose for a purpose. You got to reject 100% that there is an accident about your life. You walked in here and God had a purpose for you today. Some of you guys, and I'm going to give you a little foreshadowing. I'm going to share the gospel at the end of this. Some of you guys are going to find Jesus in this place today. Because God created this moment in time for a purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. I think that at the end of our lives, we will kind of get to know what our true purposes were. But I already know what one of mine was. One of my major purposes, one of the things that God and I will debrief when we get up to heaven, is I was meant to be a youth pastor during the COVID years. I was meant to be a youth pastor during the COVID years. Now, you guys remember when it all started, right? So much fear. We told kids to go home, lock themselves away, get on the computer for all the social outlets they're going to need. We pretended like that wasn't going to be a problem. Our youth ministry was probably better equipped to handle video ministry than any other youth ministry in the nation. Because during that time in my life, I was like this video influencer. And I thought, well, we can go online. We went online for one week, two weeks, three weeks. But every week, you know, it didn't get better. We got more isolated. We got more depressed. There was more despair. And there was more students who were believing that this whole thing's random and this whole thing's an accident. And during that time, God weaved purpose into my life. And he started to tell me and he started to illuminate certain scriptures. And one of the ones that kept coming back was, do not forsake the meeting together of the saints. Do not forsake the meeting together of the saints. And I just knew that that was not meant to be online. And so after five weeks of doing ministry, you guys remember this, we opened back up. We were the first youth ministry in Kitsap County to open back up. And guys, it wasn't without criticism. It wasn't without, we had weird bureaucracy people calling in the church. I thought every week at youth group, someone was going to show up in like a hazmat suit and like break the whole thing apart. Never happened. We just kept meeting. We kept praising Jesus. And guess what happened? The biblical thing started to happen. God added to our number daily those who were being saved. Kids were getting saved. Kids were getting baptized. This revival started happening. Every single thing had been taken away from their life. They had no more distractions. The only place that they were allowed to be was that the one place was here. And that was at youth group. And we embarked on a revival that I've never experienced in my whole life. A revival that's lasted a full two years. So when you see them with their hands up here, know that that was bought with blood. Know that they are they loved Jesus because they had everything taken away from them and they still found joy and they found joy in Jesus' name. And I made a vow to God and it's part of my purpose and we're not going to shut down again. We stayed open every day from that point on and God continued to add to our numbers. I believe that. Let's jump into the last part of the text here, guys. Verse 13. 
You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. When you think about what happened with the Jews and how they have a nation now, this is amazing. Written like three, 4,000 years ago and it happened in our day. That's amazing. But look at these words here and I think you'll find the eternal truth that preaches to even us. I will bring you back. I will bring you back. I will be found in you. I will gather you. I will bring you back. Do you guys hear it? The heart of God is reunion. God loves reunion. God loves reunion. Now there's a family in this service who I'm going to talk about now and they don't know this. Um, so forgive me. But when I think about reunion, I think about a certain thing that happened in my life two years ago. Now we have, I have this baseball team that, I, that the Lord has made me the coach of because nobody else wanted to do it. Um, um, and uh, we're the White Sox, right? Not the Chicago White Sox. That's right, there you guys are. Um, we're the Silverdale White Sox. And um, we have this, this catcher um, who's been on my team for a while. His name's Graham, and I love this kid. Um, so focused. He's one of the best catchers in our league. Um, fantastic, fantastic athlete. Um, but Graham is a boy growing up with a dad who's sometimes on deployment, which is the story of a lot of our uh, children in this community. And every year that I've been his coach, I've had to start the year with his dad being on deployment. And there was a specifically kind of a long deployment. It went on way past the date than any of us expected. And we just sort of thought, hey, Graham's dad's coming home. You want to see what, how much a father means in a life, just watch the, the difference between a, a boy whose dad's on a ship and out to sea and what that boy becomes when his dad comes back. We could see it. We could all see it. Graham was struggling. But I got the call one day. Steve just got off the ship. Steve is Graham's dad. And I go, that's awesome. You want me to go call Graham? He goes, no, no, no. We can do better. So Chris and I, who's another uh, associate on our team, we kind of schemed up a plan together. And we had, uh, we had Steve come in and put on a batter's helmet that kind of blocked his face a little bit. And then we made him the pitcher. And then we told Graham, he didn't notice we did this, to go grab his bat and be the hitter. His dad was going to pitch to him, and hopefully he would notice. But like I told you, Graham's a focused player. Probably one of the most focused on the, the task that I've ever seen. So he comes up there, he goes through his little thing, taps the plate, comes back here. I'm sitting on a bucket behind him with a mask on, and Steve's out there, and Steve looks at me, and we realize that Graham doesn't notice that his dad's pitching to him. And I'm like, throw the ball, you know? <laughs> so he does, and Graham hits a line drive, hits it really hard. I'm like, he's going to notice eventually. Steve throws another one, Graham hits it hard. Steve throws another one, Graham hits it hard. Finally, I take my mask off, and I look at him, I go, Graham! Who's pitching to you? He looks this way. He looks back at the mound. He goes, and he looks back at me. 100% joy. That's my dad. And he runs. There's this like amazing moment where they got to meet each other. You guys remember, right? It's just, and we were, all, we were all crying at this point. Like practice is canceled at this point because there's no crying in baseball, as you guys remember. Um, <laughs> God loves reunion. He loves reunion. The story gets better than that. 
we were praying for our little White Sox team for as long as I've been the coach. And this last year, we, 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 Easter was coming up, and in the in-between times when I was talking to different parents and different people on our team, I, I, I got to ask, hey, would you want to come to uh, Easter at Grace Point? And the crazy thing is, like, everyone I asked, they said, yeah, we'll come. Now, you guys know when you ask people to church, a lot of times they don't show up. We asked six of our students, sorry, six of our players to show up. I came on Easter, and I wasn't supposed to be in the children's church room, which is where these students would be at. Um, I was supposed to be in here, but our children's director got, got COVID, and I ended up over there. And I'm teaching, and I look up second service, and in the back row, I see six White Sox hats on. And I see my son, number seven, sitting in the back row. Now, you can play. It's a full team with seven. That's legal in baseball. We've got the full team back there. And I share the gospel, and I ask them all to, you know, bow their heads, close their eyes, and, and I lead them through a prayer, and then and I ask, who, who received Jesus? And there was a lot of hands that went up, but I look in the back row. One, two, three, four, five, six. All six of them had their hands in the air to receive Jesus. And I go, up to my, I go up to my son afterwards, and I go, Max, I know you're not supposed to peek, but did you peek? He's like, of course I peeked, Dad. And I'm like, what did you see? He goes, they all had their hands up. And we hugged, and we cried, and it was amazing. Why? Because God loves reunion. Do you feel it? Do you hear it? The same God is longing for a reunion with you. The same God who is active in Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14 is the same God who's active in this place and he longs for reunion for you. And so in this place, in this time, I'm wondering if someone here needs to make a decision for Jesus. And so let's allow that to happen. I want everyone here to close their eyes, bow your head, every single one. If you're wanting that reunion, I got to tell you right now, there's a God who's been wanting to welcome his lost children back, and he is waiting for you. If you're wanting to do that today, what I'm going to do is is I'm going to lead you through a prayer of introduction, a gospel prayer. And the only way you, all you have to do to start a relationship with this father, to be reunited as a lost child with this father, is to just pray this prayer with me. Now, don't say it out loud. Just say it in the quietness of your heart. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, say this prayer. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that this world is broken. I am broken. I need a savior. I believe you when you say that Jesus died for me. God, I ask for your forgiveness. I accept you as my Savior. I accept you as my Lord. Help me to follow you all of the days of my life. I love you. Teach me what that means. Amen. Everyone keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. And just in the same way that I got to share the gospel with my baseball team, I share the gospel with you. And I ask if you'd be willing, and no one will peek this time, I swear. If you'd be willing so I could pray for you and so I can rejoice with you. If you said that prayer for the first time, I, I, pray that, I ask that you just raise your hand and raise it high so I can see it. If you prayed that prayer, oh my goodness, God, thank you. Amen. Keep them up because I can't see them all. 
Awesome. God, we thank you for your strong work of salvation. We thank you for this moment which you have granted to us. We thank you for the people that you saved in this place today. We thank you that you are a God who loves reunion. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.